Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy 12, 32. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. That's the word of God of where our religion should stand and exactly what the Bible says. And we shouldn't add to it or diminish from it, no matter how good we might think our ideas are, no matter how difficult or hard we might think some of the things of Scripture are, no matter how many good men might agree that something ought to be taken away or added to the Word of God, we want to stand exactly on Scripture and Scripture alone. Come back to Daniel, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 32. Deuteronomy five thirty-two: Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. We want to follow exactly what the Lord has taught us in Scripture. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. I am reminding you of the importance that our faith and our practice lines up with the Word of God and doesn't go beyond and doesn't come short of what the Lord has inspired and preserved in our King James Bibles. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. So how many words are not pure? None. So we want all of them. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So when the Bible says every word of God is pure, we don't want to miss or leave out a single word Because everyone is pure, and we don't want to add one to His Word, or He's going to reprove us for it, and we're going to be found liars. Some of the things that you have heard this morning, some of the things you may hear in this assembly, may be different from what you've heard in pulpits before, but we shouldn't care. All we should care about is there a Bible basis for what is said, and a Bible basis for what is not said. A Bible basis for what is commanded, and a Bible basis for what is liberty. This is the word of the Lord and the constant message throughout that we don't want to add to or take away from God's words. I hope that what was said on modesty will give room for husbands and fathers to take up where I left off and apply it in their homes. And hopefully I did a little bit of spade work in preparing the hearts of your wives and children to be able to hear what you might have to say to them. And I hope that you will do that so that we see a change. I want to remind the women to be humble and submissive and eager to be instructed. The trademark of wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is your willingness to hear instruction. And so when someone suggests to you that a particular garment or something that you're doing is not very modest, and I don't want anybody abusing that privilege, but we'll worry about that when we see it abused. And until then, I hope that you'll be submissive and receptive to the things that Christian brothers and sisters may have to suggest to you. I do believe that it's in the best interest of Christian modesty and purity that if you have a problem with the way some woman dresses, that you should go to her husband if she's married or to her father if she's not married and not go to her directly, especially if you're a man. That that should be done between the men. It's interesting that if a woman... Many women are knowledgeable enough about immodest clothing that if they were standing next to a man trying to sing the 100th Psalm, 
and saw a woman in front with the bottom cupping, hugging skirt or a gauze blouse that showed garments, they would be offended because they wouldn't want their husband seeing that, but they don't think about it with themselves. Now, some women are so naive that they wouldn't recognize it anywhere and they would just think that it's appropriate that we go around showing off our underwear. But it's not. It's just immodest and it's gross. And you don't need to do it. Now, it's only gross in a sense of God's Word. It's very fine to my flesh. But we don't measure things by our flesh. And it's very fine to the flesh of every male in here that still has red blood flowing in his veins. But we don't do things that way, and I hope that the women will be submissive and eager to make a stand. See, our church tries to make a stand on doctrine. Our church tries to make a stand on practice. Our church makes a stand on what goes out on the website. And I hope that our women will take a stand in what they wear. Amen. Just one, a couple little thoughts that were brought up to me at break time. If a woman wants to wear a wig, there's nothing wrong with a woman wearing a wig. There's nothing wrong with a woman buying hair extensions and adding it to her hair. If her hair is not growing anymore and she wants longer hair, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. We would allow that as a liberty. That's existed in our church before. Some of you may know it. Some of you may not know it. It doesn't matter. That's okay. If you want to show the Lord something that you can't grow, then show it to Him uh, by having longer hair. Those of you ladies, when you conceive children, you know we celebrate that in this church and we're thankful for the children that God gives us. I hope that you'll also remember to wear modest clothing when you are expecting a child. There, you know, certain body changes take place and you need to recognize that. It's the same as when you add five or ten pounds, body changes take place. Straight, I mean, skirts don't fit like they once did. Blouses don't fit like they once did when you're expecting your blouses don't fit like they once did. And we don't need to see those gunny sack dresses that uh, sometimes expecting mothers pull over themselves where you show us your cauliflower belly button. We're, we're really not interested in your cauliflower belly button. We do care about that unborn child that's behind your cauliflower belly button. But please don't show us the cauliflower belly button. Remember cauliflower. It'll help you wear something a little more discreet. And listen, if you need to buy yourself a 12-inch by 12-inch bandage to tape over your stomach so that that doesn't poke through, then that's okay too. And right now you may be getting grossed out, but just think about what we've had to look at in the past. Yes. Okay. Let's be serious about this because it's serious, but we want to be... We want to, to, to laugh because we want to be joyful and find sweet accord right. in, in these things. Modesty at home. As Paul wrote, hast thou liberty? Have it to thyself before God. And we understand that to mean at home. And things like modesty, you know, I just dealt with public modesty that you ought to dress in a certain way when you go outside of your house. It's not just for church here. We ought to, we have to take a stand against this world even when you go to the grocery store. You may not have to wear the same garment that you wear to church, but don't drop your standards to the world's level just because you're going to the grocery store. We should still hold the line, and I'm not going to go through the ten eye magnets again, but you shouldn't be drawing any man's attention to yourself by those magnets no matter where you go. Please. The Bible doesn't say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, let a woman be adorned in modest apparel in the assemblies. It just says, let a woman be adorned in modest apparel. At home. A wife cannot be immodest at home because it's impossible if no one else is present to be tempted. The Bible says in Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. 
God doesn't care what you wear or don't wear when you're at home with your husband alone. But a wife sins if she wears immodest clothing in front of guests, especially men. It doesn't matter that we're outside of this assembly. It doesn't matter that you're in your home. It doesn't matter that you feel very comfortable in your home. You shouldn't be wearing clothes in front of a visiting male that's immodest. The same rules should still apply. You say, well, I can't wear my tight jeans around. I want to be eye candy for my husband. I've already taught you about eye candy. You want to be eye candy to your husband, not eye candy for your husband. Your bodies are for your husbands, and we want to teach that, emphasize that, and keep that in our church. A wife does not need to dress as scrupulously before family as others due to familiarity, but every wise man and his wife will be careful about those different kinds of family members that could be present. Amish clothing is just as unscriptural as immodest clothing. It's wrong. It's not adorning themselves like the virtuous woman does in Proverbs chapter 31 in scarlet and purple. The women of the Bible were beautiful to look upon, but they were not immodest, they were not suggestive, they were not seductive, they were not ostentatious or showy. When a wife goes out of her house, she should represent God against this pagan generation. I hope I've said enough there. You know, don't let your standards down because you're at home when you're having guests. If you're at home and there's no children or it's just young children, you know, go ahead and wear your hot pants or whatever else you want to put on. I don't care what it is. You know, the rules don't apply. There is no such thing as immodesty between a woman and a husband by Hebrews 13.4. I don't think I have to say anything about motorcycles, even though they're 27.5 times more dangerous than driving a car. They're a matter of liberty. And I hope that you'll not take that away from me. I don't have one at the time, but I certainly have in the past. And I have a wife that keeps asking me for one. It's, I just can't believe that. Well, talk to her. You know, Paul and I had to grow up with her living three houses away, and her father got her a motorcycle when she was 10 years old. Do you know what that did to Paul and me? He was 12 and I was 13. And listen, we had to keep training wheels on our bikes until we were in our teen years. We were immensely jealous of Sherry Mosley. I want you all to laugh. You know, some of you, you may some of you may think that driving a, a motorcycle is so dangerous, and I'll bet if you hit a pebble, the thing will just spring off the road and wrap you around a tree. And you know, South Carolina laws that you don't have to have a helmet and things like that—they are dangerous. They're more dangerous. And the younger you are, and the more zealous you are, the less you should drive one. Uh, Dave Taylor laid his down twice when he was a young man, and he and I were talking about motorcycles. That those things happen. We've had. God's mercy in the Kirkland family on motorcycles. And uh, they showed some sobriety by going and getting rid of those motorcycles after their close call with pavement, uh, their close encounter with pavement. And those things happen to teach us lessons that they are dangerous. It's, a t- it's typical for a lot of Christians to overreact on a lot of issues, and holidays is one of them. You know, because we take a position against Christmas, Halloween, Easter, and Valentine's Day, some people will jump on board with... Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and outlaw birthdays and other days, and it's wrong. Celebrating a birth and celebrating a weaning and celebrating things like that in the Bible. Job's children celebrated their birthdays, and Job prayed for them because he knew that in the levity of a party, they might have cursed God. Abraham threw a great feast when his son Isaac was weaned, 
And so we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We love Thanksgiving Day and we keep national holidays like that because Jesus kept a national holiday in John chapter 10 that wasn't prescribed by Moses' law. Music. Music is very powerful. It's called the language of the soul. People have strong opinions about it. And its associated effects are very consistent. Certain kinds of music have certain kinds of people and certain kinds of activity that follow that music, and that ought to be sufficient to tell you that that music shouldn't be listened to by Christians. There's a general principle in the Bible that's called, By their fruits ye shall know them. And some kinds of music have certain kinds of fruit, and you shouldn't need some detailed explanation explanation of the origin of that music, the creation of that music, the rhythm of that music, the syncopated beats of that music. You shouldn't need any of that. That's why I've never preached it to you. I am not going to go down that road of all the long explanation about the different kinds of music and what continents it originated from and and the scientific explanation behind it and the tests that have been done on how you can kill plants with rock and roll music and, and all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go there. I just want you to look at the fruits of music and remember a few basic rules. One, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. All the music that you listen to should be promoting the glory of God in your life. And you should be doing it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving to God. And it's hard to do that with rock and roll music. You know, I can't do that with The Who. I can't, I can't listen to the, to the Who or any of the other groups that I listen to as a wild, rebellious, godless teenager. And so I want you to remember those th- some of those things about music. You want to do your music to the glory of God. Music has never been more pervasive in society than our own, so rules of use are required. Never. Who got to carry around an iPod or an MP3 player or an MP4 player? Who got to do that? Have you seen these little new MP3 players? I mean, they're just little tiny gizmos and they can hold thousands of songs. You know, you stick that little earbud in and you're just rocking away all day long. Nobody ever had that. You know, the only sound that you could hear was the flatulation of the mule in front of you pulling a plow through your farmer's field. That was the only music you got. What other music did you get? Your wife singing lullabies to you? There just wasn't any. And it's all around us now. And so I want you to be very careful about the music you listen to. There's nothing more godly about classical music, necessarily, than there is rock and roll music by this measure. Be careful. Just listen to me, please. The percentage of God-hating intellectual liberals that love classic ma- classic music basically matches uh, the degenerate, long-haired, rock and roll people that hate God as well. They're, they're both. So you've got to be very careful about it. Does it promote godliness to you? Does it promote heavenly thoughts? Measure things by the fruit and effect on you. Measure music by its effect on others. Measure music by those who perform it. Measure music by those who buy it. Measure music by its lyrics. Measure music by its the origin of its musical composition. Remember, this is not exhaustive on anything. This is just to remind you about things that are liberties, but liberties that we want to use very carefully. The lyrics, the musical origin, the nature of the music, the performers, the audience, the effect, and the popularity say a whole lot about music. (coughs) Rather than a manual of what kinds are approved or not, make it serve your love of Christ. I have tried my best as a pastor, and there's no manuals. We just try to go by the Word of God, and I try to give you some simple principles, because if you truly love Christ, 
the Lord Jesus Christ and heavenly things, then you know that earthly music is detrimental to your spiritual health. And there's all kinds of earthly music. God reasons in the Bible that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, so we should only let godly music in the temple's ear holes. You know, if this body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and God says it is, then here are the two holes for audible sounds to go into my temple. If the Holy Spirit doesn't like my outward body being attached to a prostitute, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12-20, through 20, then the Holy Spirit doesn't like worldly music either coming in the two holes. I don't even really know why I would listen to worldly music. I want you to be critical of it. No one's ever had to deal with it before like we have to deal with it. It's all around us. We want to be lifted up toward the Lord by the music that we listen to. And, and how can you pick any better music than music that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. Is there anything better than the Hallelujah Chorus? Not, not necessarily the, the orchestration of it, but the words of it. Or Worthy is the Lamb. Or any of the songs that we sing from our hymnal. about mar- Like Marching to Zion that we just sang. What's better than that? If you, if you raise your hand and tell me something's better than that, I've got to ask what spiritual problem you have. Because that should be the best music to us. The words New Age. Oh, we're only in the ends. New Age. You know, New Age can be defined about have any value you want to give it since it's mainly used as a slur of funny mentalists against us who have practiced some Christian liberty. I don't really know what it means. And you know I can look up definitions, and you know I can look it up, and you know I have looked it up, but I really don't know what it means. You know, has, has our nation benefited from some things, or has our nation adopted some things that have come from the Far East? Yes. Are some of them associated with witchcraft and the occult and, and false pagan religion? Yeah, I guess they are. But you know, everything's called New Age because they just throw out that word to condemn whatever you're talking about. Well, that's New Age. Well, that's easy for you to say, but I need, I need two points of help. First of all, what does New Age mean? And show it in the Bible that New Age is wrong. Second of all, the thing that I was doing, how do you know it's New Age? And so what I'm trying to say to you is I don't really care if something is called New Age or not because the Bible doesn't know the expression. And you can't prove that it ought to be applied to that unless I'm getting way out in left field or someone in the church is getting way out of line in doing something. The use of that phrase has no more condemning validity than calling Bible Christians a cult. And we are a cult. All Christians are a cult, not this church. All Christians are a cult because they're following the doctrine and the practice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a cult. They're following a man. They're following a leader. They're following the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pants on females. We're to the peas. There's two factors here that cause trouble. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 22. This is under the category of Christian liberty. Pants on women. Pants on girls. You know, I'm not trying to change your liberty. There's families in this church that their women, their females don't wear pants. More power to you. Pants are a very immodest garment. I don't care about Deuteronomy 22.5 because it doesn't apply to pants. But uh, I'm going to read it to you anyway just to show that I'm trying to be fair with the Bible. Deuteronomy 22.5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. This isn't talking about a woman going out to pick raspberries and decides to put on a pair of her husband's jeans because she doesn't want to get her legs pricked by the thorns that are around those berries. 
This verse doesn't have a thing to do with it. This verse is talking about cross-dressers and transvestites and the abominations of the pagans. The pants that women wear aren't men's garments anyway. You know, just to prove the point, I tried to put on some of my wife's pants yesterday. I couldn't get my left leg in them. They only came to my knee. They were ridiculous. All shiny. She doesn't have, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to make you laugh with me, brethren. Because the, 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 the amount of scorn that is thrown around because of some families putting their daughters in dresses and skirts, and more power to you, I'll defend you 100%. I'll be your, I'll, I have your back against anyone in this church. But we're not going to require it of everyone else in the church. And Deuteronomy 22.5 isn't a verse that we go to about a woman wearing female pants. Because female pants on women aren't in Deuteronomy 22.5. But this thing that's called an abomination, there are cross-dressers in our society. Do you know that? Do you know that there are quite a few of them? Do you know that in a lesbian relationship, one takes the role of the aggressor and one takes the role of the submissive one? Do you know how they dress? Do you know how sodomites dress? I don't want to tell you anymore. Then you can understand this verse if you knew a little bit more instead of trying to think that God wrote this verse for Bob Jones University. God did not write this verse for Bob Jones University or Trinity Baptist Church or any other extension of Bob Jones University that had rules for such things. What your granny wore is not necessarily God's standard. Should we resume wearing powdered wigs on men? Because that's what granddaddy wore. Lord save us. Pants on women should be closely inspected for their modesty and avoid offending consciences. Effeminacy is a sin in the Bible, and so masculinity of women is a sin in the Bible. Pants are one of the most immodest garments for a woman, and that is what I would ask you to consider most of all. They clutch the thigh, they clutch the buttocks, and they clutch the crotch. The crotch is where the two legs meet. And they're a very immodest garment. They reveal the shape of a woman's lower half more than any other garment. More than a skirt, more than a tight skirt, more than a short skirt. They reveal more. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I have not dealt with anything exhaustively by intent and design, or we would be on this forever. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Any of those matters of liberty? No. Those are all condemned. What's the Greek word underlying witchcraft? Pharmakia. Have you ever heard this one? Oh yeah, there's whole websites built on this one. The Greek word under the word witchcraft is pharmakia. I have a son that's going to pharmacy school right now, and I want to address him right now from the pulpit. I'm just He's going to pharmacy school. There are whole websites saying that the big drug companies are producing their drugs to open up people for the devil because pharmakia is the underlying Greek word for the English word that we have translated in our King James Bible, witchcraft, which has to do with the devil, devil possession. You should see the websites. Here we go again. Do you know why I love our King James Bible? 
because it tells me what the sin is in the second word in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 5, witchcraft. Our translators, by God's providence, didn't put in there prescription drugs. I know what I know what you're thinking right now. I'm beating a dead horse or I am creating a straw man or I'm jousting with windmills. You need to go type in pharmacia witchcraft and see what you find. I have some links in the outline for you. Until you meet these nuts or hear or read the, their material, you cannot believe such a windmill that they've created. Are drugs used for sin? Sure, like alcohol. Do drugs give place to Satan? Sure, like music. It's the abuse of those things. Illegal drugs should not be used because the powers that be have made them crimes. Legal drugs should not be abused, just like alcohol, but the sin still comes from the heart of man, not the drug companies making witty inventions that help us. God gives witty inventions and God approves mood-altering chemicals. Many pharmaceuticals, many of the drugs today come from herbal remedies that were used in the past even by people in the Bible. Can you, when was the last time you used a, a fig plaster? Who used a fig plaster in the Bible? And it was Hezekiah. Because Isaiah said, put a fig plaster on the man. Is there something wrong with that? Should we condemn fig trees? Should we exclude members that have fig trees because they might be tempted to take the figs and make a plaster and slap it on granddaddy? Where do we end? It's just It's miserable. Pharmacia. I love our English Bible. And we stick with our English Bible and we don't play word games like that. Piercings. Some think piercings are ugly, pagan, native, and try to find Bible evidence against them. And when you go to Leviticus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 14, you find verses that say that the people of God ought not to make any cuttings in their flesh. But remember, we've already shown you those verses. They are dealing with religious rites for the dead. Okay, here we go. Are you willing to commune with a woman in this church that has her ears pierced? Is that going to be most of the women of this church? If there's a family in this church that doesn't want their women to have pierced ears, I'll defend you 100%. Now, let's get deeper into this. Are you willing to go to communion with a woman that's pierced her ears twice on each side? Starts to look a little crazy to me. What are you going to do? Wear two earrings? I'm speaking as a... Okay. Three. I want to see your spirituality. Can you accept a woman that's got three holes in each ear? What if those holes look like the person was blindfolded that was doing the hole punching so that the holes go up the body of the ear where, where obviously holes were not intended to go? Right? It's only this part that they're intended to go in. So what in the world are people doing punching all the way up their ear? The mad puncher at the mall. Was it a volume discount? Ten for the price of two. Laugh at me. Does it bother you? Does it bother some of you a little bit? Okay. Okay. Once you say that a woman cannot have a second hole in her ear, what about the first one? Which Bible verse will we use to justify the first one, and which Bible verse will we use to condemn the second one? And if you don't have one to, con- if you don't have a verse to condemn the second one, you can't condemn the third one. 
And for all those men of you that want to keep your families with one hole in the lobe, (laughs) but hold on. All those of you that want to have a string of them, ten marching up those ears so that you can put in a ruby here, you know, another stone here, I'll defend you. Don't take my tone, my looks on my face, or anything. We will defend liberty in this church. The Bible doesn't say anything, so we're not going to say about it. Now, what if a woman comes in here and's pierced her nose and has a big ring hanging through it and a rope in her husband's hand? You know, that's gone too far. We're not going to go with... There are certain things that are offensive, and there are certain things that say that it's contrary and offensive to society. And I want to warn women about doing things like punching holes in their noses or punching holes in their tongues. Those kind of piercings go with a particular part of our society and they're not Christians. That's just something you want to avoid because of offense. Remember some of the rules of Christian liberty. I can't go back and preach all the rules. But but look at 1 Corinthians 10. I want to show you this again, that we are supposed to think about offense. And there are certain things that are just offensive. You know, does the Bible say anything against an earring on a man? No, it doesn't. Do NFL and NBA stars that are very heterosexual wear giant two-carat earrings on both lobes? Yes. And so there's been a slight, there's been a somewhat of a change in our culture. Cultures will change and allow things that we wouldn't have allowed in the past. Because we want, because I'm dealing with offense. And offense is what does a culture accept and what does a culture say about certain things? And I want to remind you of that in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Here's this great verse, these great three verses actually, that end this chapter, the last three verses. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, or talking about piercings at the moment, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So there's the progression for the glory of God to give none offense, and three categories are mentioned, that others may be saved by showing a difference. So piercings should be done very carefully. Piercings of nose or tongue are what I was dealing with. They are a liberty, but they're offensive to most Christians by association. So I am, as a pastor... Warning you against them. Offense and appearance of evil do count. Jesus was once asked about a tribute. Did he pay a certain tribute that was collected of the Jews? And he explained to Peter, I am not legally bound to pay that tribute, but I will pray it, I will pay it to avoid offense by not paying it. A father can make any piercings a sin for his children by imposing his lack of liberty on them. And I'll fully support you in that. There are other piercings. And you cannot condemn them with the Bible. But they shouldn't be talked about. They shouldn't be promoted. They should be kept private. Because the Bible says, Hast thou liberty? Have it to thyself. Listen, if your husband's got so much that he can put a carrot in your belly button, more power to him. We're never going to see it. But if that's what he likes, that's where he wants to put his money, if that's where he wants to keep his savings account, is on your belly button, and not a cauliflower one either. It's a matter of liberty. These things bother people. They, they bother a lot of us. 
but I hope that we'll be merciful toward one another and I hope that nobody will read anything into what I just said. The pledge to the flag. Is the pledge to the flag of liberty? It's not a law. But I wouldn't do anything or I wouldn't avoid it in a way to create offense. But as a Christian, you know, our real allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Many other things could be said. I'm just going to rush over that. Premarital exams. Is it okay for a woman, a girl, to have a premarital exam before she gets married that involves the use of a speculum? If you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't worry about it. Don't go home and Google too much about it. Premarital exams. They can be good. They're matters of liberty. Do different people in this church have different opinions about them? Oh, indeed. Will we all commune together no matter what? Are we going to put anything in the updates about girls getting premarital exams? No. We're not going to talk about those things. Premarital counseling, it's a pastoral liberty. It's a personal liberty. Whether you have premarital instruction or not, most good pastors won't marry a couple unless there's evidence of some instruction. But the content, the number of visits, the setting, the follow-up are a few of many aspects of that liberty. You know, I found that postmarital instruction probably works better because by then they found out that love doesn't grow on trees and that tree isn't growing in their garden and that there's a whole lot of work involved in getting along with another sinner. Psalters. Do you have little black books on your pews? Singing psalms is not a liberty. How we sing psalms is a liberty. Because the Bible tells us we're supposed to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But how we sing them is a liberty. This is basically a pastoral liberty because it's the easiest way I know for us to sing all the psalms in English to known melodies. You know, if we could all memorize 150 scripture psalms so that we could sing all 150 psalms and all verses of the 150 psalms to some folk tune where we could follow the King James English words exactly without ever repeating them and saying them just as they are in our King James Bibles, we might do it. But we can't do it. Nobody's written them for all of them. And they're very difficult to learn. They're very difficult to remember, except for the very musically inclined who like that particular kind of music. And so we sing them to the tunes that we know. Psalters are a matter of liberty. God doesn't require them, but God does require us to sing the Psalms. So that's why we have that little black book. If we knew Hebrew and had David's music for his Hebrew Psalms, we would follow him. But we don't have either. The altered words are not inspired, nor are they authoritative, but they still trump any other songbook that you can recommend. Unless we're going to reduce ourselves to 10 or 20 scripture songs that use the words exactly. When I preach the word of God to you, I don't even use the words exactly. I read the words exactly, then I give the sense of those words by explaining what those words mean. Rent or buy. Do you know that some Christians really get upset when they see somebody renting an apartment because they've believed, they've believed the little American mantra that uh, you're just throwing your money away with rent payments? It amazes me that people are able to think so foolishly. A person that owns a house and condemns a person renting an apartment by saying, don't you know that you're throwing away those monthly payments? Have they ever looked at the truth in lending statement about their mortgage that they're throwing away 95% of their mortgage payment in interest. You know, truth in lending statements tell people that when you buy a $100,000 house, 
you're going to pay 300000 for it because we're going to charge you 200000 in interest over the 30-year history of that house and, and the history of that mortgage. But I've heard this one. I don't want anybody in here to feel bad or be condemned or implied or insinuated that they're not wise because they're renting an apartment. Unless they're making about $70,000 a year or above, I will show you that renting an apartment is cheaper than owning a house. There's a tax benefit, but you have to have taxes in order to have a tax benefit. And so if you're making not, if you're not making enough money to get a tax benefit, there isn't one. You say, why in the world are you even mentioning things like this? Because it's amazing what people will say, what will flop out of their mouths about how stupid it is to rent when you could buy. But they, they forget all the costs that are attached with home ownership, that everyone that owns a home, if they're honest with me, when they put down on a piece of paper, oh, it sure does add up. It sure does add up. There's a whole lot of things you've got to pay for when you have your own house that you don't have to pay for when you have an apartment or you're renting a house. Without governmental inflation, the value of houses would always decline by depreciation. Anyway, enough said about that. Uh, how about restaurants on Sunday? You know, we've had some people among us that thought that we were committing a pretty great sin for any of us that went out of this assembly and would go to a restaurant to eat because they thought that we were forcing other people <coughs> to violate the Sabbath or to violate the New Testament Sabbath or to violate Sunday. Now, if anybody should have a problem like that, it's me. I love going out to eat on Sundays because I love making pagans work on the Lord's Day for me so that my wife doesn't have to work on the Lord's Day. Does that make sense to you? I lo- it's my favorite day of the week to go out to eat. It's never. I've never had a problem of watching some pierced... Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Waitress... <coughs> waiting on me on the Lord's Day. She's the one that's already chosen to work there. She doesn't know a thing about the Lord Jesus Christ or the Word of God or have any convictions about Sunday, and so I don't have any for her sake. We will use the world, we just will not abuse it. You know the danger about going out to eat on Sunday? Godly souls will consider the intent of what you're going out to eat for. They will consider the venue They will consider the music of that venue. They will consider the temptations that could be there, the distractions that could be there, and the irreverence in taking away from what you have just heard in the house of God. All those things should be considered. I hate singing the songs of Zion and then going to a restaurant and having that Muzak system pumping the songs of my youth. I hate it. So I avoid those as well as I'm able. School options. Oh, Let's get two fingers in there. School options. Do you know that there's four options? You can send your children to public school, private school, Christian school, or home school. Within these four categories, there are even more options, allowing significant differences. There's all kinds of homeschooling. There's all kinds of Christian schools. There's all kinds of private schools. And you can ask for an exception to send your children to a different public school than your zoning calls for. If from all the options you choose a home school, then there's the liberty of your curriculum. You know, are those in here using one form of home school curriculum going to look down on those in here using a different form of home school curriculum? Can we commune together? Can we commune together if your six-year-old reads at a seven-year-old's ability but their eight-year-old reads at a seven-year-old's ability. Are you going to be up on your high and haughty horse that they've made an error? 
in their homeschool curriculum? Who cares? Just teach them how to read. You say, well, my child read at three. He didn't read very well. He didn't understand a thing he was reading. What else do you want to tell me? You're no great parent. You want to be a great parent? Then teach your child how to pray. Teach them how to pray every day. Teach them how to pray every day on their own. Then you can be a great parent. I don't give a rip when your child reads. And neither does God. It doesn't matter. Keep them from reading until they're eight. Let them grow up a little bit before you force them to read. Just teach them how to pray. You know, my dear sisters, I I love every one of you in this church. But you know, last Sunday I had to go on that D word, diapers, and we've been over all kinds of different things about child training. Let's put the emphasis where the emphasis ought to be. Have you taught them how to pray? Have you taught them to love the Word of God? Do you kneel with them every day and pray in your prayer language with the Word of God in front of you to a being that isn't visible in the room that they get to see you fear and love more than anyone else in your life and you use their name in your praying so that they know that you are telling this being that you love and obey more than anyone else in your life that you care about them in the sight of Him? I wish I could go back and be a mother all over again. There's so many... I give you whatever wisdom God's given to me in 56 years. Why would you even think about the other things? Who cares when they read? Do they pray? Do they worship? On their own. Samuel was left at the age of five in Shiloh. And you know what it says? He worshiped there. And every person in here who's had a mother like I described, she better have lunch prepared for her by pagans that don't believe in a Sabbath. By her children that are in here. We get, do we get our priorities out of line? What would those children grow up to be like instead of being arrogant that I, le- I learned to read Dick and Jane when I was three years old? Who cares? It's a two-year-old book. You're behind. Teach them something valuable for their souls. A father's choice in how his children are educated can reduce his parental workload or significantly increase it. I hope you understand if you send your children to the public schools, you're going to have to do more to undo their misinformation in order to teach them the truth. The Bible does not have a word in it requiring academic education to occur under mommy at home. There's not a word. You know, if you want to use verses on me like Deuteronomy chapter 6, it sure ain't mommy doing the teaching. It's daddy. And daddy's at work, so that doesn't count. You can't use those passages. The Bible doesn't have a word teaching home education in the way that we practice it for academic subjects. To go beyond mommy's ability, children soon go out of the house and go off to a tutor. And here age is a different liberty. You know, some will say, I want to do it as late as possible. I think I'll keep home educating my children until they're 30, and then I'll let them go to the local community college. Others say, can you get your work done so that you can get in by 13 or 14? It's all a liberty. 
And you know, when we get excited in this church about a 13 or a 14-year-old getting into college and graduating when they're 18, that's not requiring that of anyone else. We're just excited that some child applied that kind of discipline to their life and some parents helped them apply that discipline to their life to get them there. But that's not necessary. You know, if that person retires after 20 years at work, they'll only be 35 years old. There's a lot of liberty that the Lord allows us. I, I fear those who pick one form of educating their children and when they're grown, the children turned out okay and they think that's the way it's got to be done. That isn't evidence of anything. Results do not prove God's will. The Word of God proves God's will. Amen. And sanctified wisdom takes care of the rest. And it can be done a variety of ways. There are great children that went to the public schools. There are great children that went to Christian schools. There are great children that went to private schools. And there are great children that were homeschooled. What have you proven? Don't let your arrogance think that your way is better for everyone else. If it's better for you and you've chosen it for your family, we'll defend you in it. A father's choice to homeschool his children adds to his wife's duties and requires sacrifice somewhere. And I've explained that to the men in graphic detail, that when you require your wife to also be a school teacher of your children, you will give up other things that you should want. And if you want to give them up for her being the homeschooling teacher in your homeschool, that's terrific. But just understand that there's a consequence and a cost because a woman can't do everything. You know, and I've heard men complain, well, my wife isn't this, and my wife isn't that. Well, when you look at the whole array of what you're requiring of her, you're requiring too much. Right. Back off some of those things, and she'd be able to do some of the other ones better. But that, you know, I'm not going against homeschooling. I'm not going for it as something that we can require of each other. Right. It doesn't matter to God. He doesn't care how they learn their three R's. He cares how they learn their one R, and that's religion, and S, their sanctification, and H, their holiness, and their righteousness. That's what he cares about. And daddy should be teaching that. Because the Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When we go to Joel chapter 1, or we go to Psalm 78, and the truth of God is being conveyed from generation to generation, it is by the fathers. When Hezekiah was given 15 years in his life, the father to the children shall convey thy truth. Dads teach the truth. Don't use those verses for homeschooling. Use those verses for the fact that you need to teach your children the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the fear of God. Come here, my children, David said in Psalm 3411, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You know, we could talk about this for another hour, and it wouldn't be any better than what I've already said. Will you refuse to commune with a family that puts a 14-year-old son out as an apprentice? No, it's a liberty. You know, too bad we didn't have more apprenticeship programs like our fathers did before us and our grandfathers before us. This, this just evokes such fury in people about schooling. Where in the, God doesn't care how they learn their academic subjects. He doesn't care when they learn them. We preach what the Bible preaches, we don't add to it, or we, and we don't take away from it. Yes, I have opinions about it. So what? Let's love each other. 
Let's love each other and help provoke each other to love and to good works. And the love and the good works are not so much the academic subjects as they are the spiritual subjects. Let's have spiritually minded children that love the Lord Jesus Christ and hate the world and love righteousness and are willing to stand for it against anyone. And that's taught by dad and a little bit by mom that he assigns. I'll defend all of you. I'll defend you, whatever you choose. If you choose public schools, I'm going to warn you. If you choose homeschooling, I'm going to warn you, and I already have. You're requiring more of you out of your wife, and things are going to suffer. And if you need a list of those things that will suffer, you can go to a set of slides from a men's meeting entitled Managing Your Wife, which is helping manage her time. Singing in parts. We're in the S's. We're getting there. Oh, Singing in parts, four-part harmony is not necessary to keep the scriptural command to sing. It's a liberty. It's a church liberty to allow it, and it's an individual liberty for any to use it or reject it. Those that sing parts, or those that love songs with rounds, should remember that the Bible condemns an uncertain sound. And sounding like barbarians because no one can figure out what's being said. And there are people in this church that think that our, the songs that we sing, and I don't fault them for this, the songs that we sing that tend toward rounds are singing in tongues. Or similar. While singing does require tonal modulation of the voice, the words are what's important, right. not the musical score. And we want to keep that emphasis in this church. Spectator sports. Those who grew up keeping a family garden likely despise the inherent waste of time of spectator sports. But those who grew up enjoying some spectator sports inherently despise the waste of time keeping a family garden. And if you want to prove that one is better or worse than the other, bring your verses to me so that you can help me. Those who grew up fishing and hunting likely despise the inherent waste of time to them. What's the difference in the waste of time fishing or hunting or spectator sports? There's a whole lot of other factors that enter into those decisions that are made. And wise men will consider the time, the carnality, the advertisements, the cheerleaders, and what you're going to encounter out there on the lake, in the woods, on the way to the woods, or watching something on television in the form of spectator sports. Symbols. Some go through their whole Christian life looking for any symbols they can say are of the devil. They gladly corrupt corporate trademarks like Procter & Gamble's and other businesses to try to say they're of the devil. They would have every Christian throw away Nike shoes and shirts if they were consistent, but they're not. They carry an Egyptian pyramid, the all-seeing eye of Horus, everywhere they go. There is little notice over here for something that you might want to buy for those on your Christmas list that you haven't satisfied. It was provided by a sister, but I'd like you to look at it. The whole thing is a collection of things that we don't really consider liberties. It's, it's, just, it's kind of interesting. I know there's nobody on your Christian, Christmas list. I'm not, I'm not adding something to the, the matters of Christian liberty. Can you imagine the letterhead that Joseph and Daniel used in serving their pagan nations? What did the letterhead look like that Daniel used? Joseph. Did they have a pyramid? Symbols. Tattoos. I've been over tattoos, haven't I? We don't need to hear about tattoos again. Tattoos are a matter of liberty. If a father says, not my home, then it's not a matter of liberty for those children. If a husband says, not in my home, not in my marriage, then wife, stop asking. Give up on it. We don't care if you want that little rose on your left bicep. Because your husband has made a rule. 
and therefore it's no longer a liberty. Television, having a television in your house can be a liberty, but it's basically, because it's basically electronic furniture. Your liberty can be easily become a sin if you watch things that you shouldn't. Psalm 101 and verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Right. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Romans 1, 32, Philippians 4, 8, think on these things. Look not on a woman to lust after her beauty. You can cause a brother to stumble if he hears about programs you allow that he cannot. So you shouldn't talk about what you watch on television. You should be very careful. You should be honest in your assessment and management of your television before a holy God because according to Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, you'll give an account of everything that you watched on your television to the Lord Jesus Christ. You should remember that the angels accompany us wherever we go. They watch women for the length of their hair. They watch to see if we're going to keep our vows, and they watch what we watch on television, and they are called by a four-letter word in the Bible, the holy angels. Television brings the devil's pulpit right into your house, and you better be better be very careful with it. Yes, it's the box itself is a matter of liberty. Each father must be a holy man of his household and limit television accordingly. Cable offers many acceptable viewing options nowadays. Cold case files, learning channel, discovery channel, history channel, travel channel, and so forth. Various news outlets. You can watch almost anything you want. If you want to see how things are made, there's whole channels at 24 hours a day are showing you how things that are made. Do you know what bothers me when I hear about all that legitimate stuff that's on television? What a waste of time. I don't care how things are made. I just want to eat them or use them. You know, do I need to watch an hour about peanut butter in order to join, enjoy peanut butter? But they are there. And I'll, I'll grant that. So I'm granting it. See, I want to be fair with Christian liberty about television. But it is a dangerous thing. Thanksgiving Day. Do we emphasize it in this church? We do. Is it a matter of liberty? It is. It's a matter of liberty. It's not required. But you should examine yourself if you don't want to be. Thank God on a day that... Our nation's given us to do so. United Way. I'm sorry, I'm skipping through. You're going to have to look at the outline. It'll be on the website in 24 hours. United Way. If for charitable or professional reasons you contribute, it's a liberty within charity's rules. If for other reasons you don't contribute, make sure you still comply with God's charity. Fair? You know, some employers will try to force United Way contributions on you. And sometimes it may be difficult to get out of them. The Lord knows that. Do you know what he would say to Naaman? And go in peace. It's part of your job. Just go in peace. Vaccinations. Some think that vaccinations are one of the banes in the world that contribute to disease. Others see how they have contributed to the eradication of once prevalent diseases. God doesn't care. Or he would have clearly identified them as an abomination. But they're not an abomination to him. Religious exemptions are not exclusions for your research. Religious exemptions to get out of vaccinations are not exclusions for your research. Read carefully and be honest when you read that exemption that you sign your name to that I, for religious reasons of conscience, religious reasons of conscience or however it's worded. Otherwise, the rest of us that have had vaccinations are doing just fine, and so is the rest of the country. But I'll defend both of you, and I have defended you. 
If your child dies from disease you could have prevented, you will hardly live it down here or in the hereafter. If your child dies from a vaccination for a disease, the risk is understood in all medications. Voting. Do we require you to vote Republican in this church? Do we require you to vote Libertarian? Democrat? Do we require you to vote? No, it's a liberty. Wedding rings. Where did that come from? Is it in the Bible? No. But it tells everyone that I'm married. It's a custom of our nation that married people wear wedding rings in order to indicate that they're married. And we do that for conscience sake and to avoid offense before others. If a couple chose to use only wedding bands with no diamond, could you commune with them? I hope you would. Welfare. Does welfare evoke evoke strong opinions in all of us? Just because the government provides it does not automatically mean that you deserve it. The government allows divorce for most causes and abortion as well, but we reject both. And so for those that take the public handout and the public dole, you better make certain before the Almighty God who's going to examine you and who knows the thoughts and intents of your heart as to how faithful you are in taking that. It doesn't matter that the government gave it to you. It doesn't matter what happened at your hearing. The hearing that is coming is the hearing that counts. And does everyone hear me? Your hearing before the judges of this world means nothing to God. There's a hearing coming. And you're going to give an account about every dollar that you've taken that you haven't worked for, so you better be very careful about welfare. He will not care about your disability hearing. We do use government when we can, like Joseph and Paul and the many examples in the Bible that I have pulled together for the benefit of this church, but we only use that help in true righteousness. A wedding dress. What if a bride wore a regular dress for her wedding? Would you be able to commune with her the following Sunday? Who in the world requires that monstrosity of an outfit that's never worn again? It's not necessary. I'm sorry for calling it that, ladies. That beautiful dress that's one of a kind that belongs to be in, cased in gold, uh, glass and put on your wall, it's not necessary. What if a bride wore a wedding dress in other than white but explained her virginal choice. Could you handle that? I hope so. There's no Bible verse requiring a white dress, but there are standards of society to weigh because we don't want to offend. Wives with jobs. Some emphasize keepers at home from Titus 2.5, like the Seventh-day Adventists adore Sabbath verses. Three words, and they run wild with them. You know, if they ever applied them consistently, there wouldn't be any women in our assemblies because they'd all be at home. But they don't apply them consistently, so that's why women are here. Well, I say because it says keepers at home, okay? Keepers at home, well, why aren't you keeping at home? And we could go on and on with this, but I'm going to defend you if your wife doesn't have a job and what she does is maintains her husband and maintains her children and maintains her home. If there's enough children, and if she does enough for her husband, her children, her home, and her estate, it's a full-time job. If she doesn't, then she's sinning. Because the one character trait that describes women the most in Proverbs chapter 31 is diligence. It is production. It is productivity. 
It is not window shopping, having tea, talking with ladies on the phone, or having their own little Bible studies, or reading Christian books. All those subjects are not dealt with at all, and the virtuous woman doesn't do them. Right. I'm allowing exceptions to the statement I just made, but the virtuous woman doesn't do them because she's too busy doing the things that God assigned her to do. God did not assign a woman to sit at home and read Christian books. That is her husband's job. Her husband allowing her to read books written by other authors in her home is allowing men to creep into her house and lead captive silly women. A woman at home had better be giving herself to the things that are described in Proverbs 31. I don't have a problem with Titus 2.5, And I'd like to ask you not to have a problem with Proverbs 31, verses 16 and 24. Proverbs 31 and verse 16 says this about the virtuous woman. The greatest, most detailed... It's amazing how people will take three words and use three words as a hammer to smash Proverbs 31 that has 22 verses describing what a real wife does. A real wife puts her husband first, her children first, and takes care of everything domestically. She brings her food from afar. She is very creative. She is very diligent. She strengthens her hands. She's up early. She stays up late because she's working hard, and she does these things as well. Verse 16, she considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. That is commercial real estate development, and you can call it whatever you want. It is commercial real estate development, and the virtuous woman did it. That's verse 16. Verse 24, She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. She's in the wholesaling business of fine linen and girdles. She manufactures, She's in the manufacturing business. She's in the sales business. In verse 24, this is in the Word of God. This is where we have some details filling out what should a wife do. Now you say, well, what does keepers at home mean then? Well, that's pretty easy. It certainly doesn't preclude a woman having some activities on the outside of the home to add to the family estate. But I'll show you what it means from 1 Timothy chapter 5 because that's where the apostle in another pastoral epistle explained it. 1 Timothy 5.14 I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Well, how did they turn aside after Satan as women, wives, and mothers? Here's how they did it. They learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house. That's the violation of keepers at home. Right there. They learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. There are Christian circles where women where it's basically taught that women should not have jobs outside the home, and those women, without enough to engage them full-time, because they don't understand all that they should be doing, do exactly that. They're on the phone. They're standing there in their nightgowns, talking on the phone for an hour or two. They have the ladies over for tea. And because they read some little two-paragraph devotional, they call it some sort of a Bible study. There is nothing about that in the Bible. Proverbs 31 is a hard-working woman. She's canning, she's sewing, she's ironing, she's cleaning, she's dusting, she's washing, she's planning, she's cooking, she's buying, she's shopping. She's doing all those things to help her family. Keepers at home, do you know what it means? It means that women do not become idle and wander about from house to house and get involved in activities that they shouldn't. That is what the little expression means by comparing the three pastoral epistles together. Now, all of that said, I'll defend all of you. For those that make a choice... 
before God, for which they will answer, that send their wives off to work, I'll defend you. I have defended you. I've defended you heavily. And for those of you that have your wives at home, I'll defend you. All those of you, all those of you who know me, know how my wife and family was structured. But that doesn't mean a thing. It's still a matter of liberty. I want to say this though. Two warnings. The husband that sends his wife to work, you're going to have to put forth more effort because your wife is not at home to supervise and direct the activities of your children and to help mold their character during the daytime hours with your agenda. And you're going to be put forth to more effort because you put your wife outside the home. A wife at home, without supervision by her husband and without great initiative, will not be productive enough to please God. It's too easy to be lazy. It's too easy not to have initiative when there's not a time clock to punch and no one telling you with a checklist that I would like this to get done and this to get done and this to get done. And if a woman does not have enough initiative on her own to do all those things herself, then a husband should make a checklist and give it to her to make sure that she's productive because the woman in Proverbs 31 If you're going to have her at home and she's not going to be engaged in anything that adds to your family estate except what's done in the home, she had better be productive. Because Proverbs 31 is all about diligence and productivity. I hope that I've just given you two warnings. I hope that I've shown you that the liberty is there for Christians to do whatever they will. You cannot take Titus 2.5 and those three words there and beat Proverbs 31 into some form that fits you. They're both there and we deal with them both and we let 1 Timothy 5, verses 12 through 14, explain Titus 2.5 to us. And that's the position this church has always held, and that's the position it holds right now. If you are not going to call for the exclusion, or you're not going to withdraw from those that hold a different position than you do in your family, then obviously it's a Christian liberty, and I hope that you'll love them. And I hope that together we will all try to help each other with their children and help each other with our wives being diligent and productive And a woman at home can be diligent and productive, but it takes more effort and initiative to do that because there's no one giving her a checklist or she's not reporting in and punching in. And there are some women in this church, they work. Um, And they're at home. And you know, when a husband adds homeschooling to their their list of duties, that is a hardworking woman. You know, if you don't have very many children and you're not doing much for the church, and you're not doing much for your children, you're not homeschooling, what do you do all day? Don't tell me what you do. I know it could be done in a couple of hours. Why can't you figure it out? You've got to have enough responsibility so that you please God because a hardworking woman is a good woman and a hardworking woman stays out of the trouble of turning after Satan and getting involved in these foolish, vain activities of 1 Timothy chapter 5. I don't believe that there's a big problem with any of this. The only thing I fear and the only reason I did this is because I want everyone in here to love one another no matter what, how they use their wives. Youth groups. Some people influenced by Vision Forum and other organizations that have taken upon themselves to create their own agenda for how Christians should live outside the Bible, without the Bible, consider them to be usurping fathers 
you know, I probably agree with them more on this subject than I do on most of their subjects. Our church doctrine, our youth group, the activities for the youth are designed to help fathers, not to replace them ever, not in any way. Of course, most youth groups are detrimental to a church and its youth like everything else being abused. I've seen it. I've been part of them. We live in the perilous times of the last days, but we do not need to throw out the baby with the bathwater by having a youth group. A youth group is a church liberty. It's not a requirement. There's nothing in the Bible requiring it. For a church may choose to have one or choose not to have one. We do it to help fathers. We do it. We have a whole list of reasons. All the parents that have children in the youth group, except those that have recently been attending our church, had a meeting before we started the youth group that we have right now. We went over the reasons why we're doing it. And we believe we have biblical, scriptural reasons as to why we have those couple of meetings a month and an activity or two or three a year for them. That's where we stand on youth groups. It's not a Bible requirement. We use it to assist and help the men. We use it to assist and help our youth to be able to have a little bit of time for socialization with each other rather than the world. Uh, Let's end with Z. You know, I have a whole other table, and it's those things that aren't Christian liberties. It'll be on the Internet. Let's end with Z. Zumba. What? What in the world Zumba? A Latin form of dance and exercise done by women for fitness in a private setting. You got a problem with it? We've had members that had a problem with it. If a woman does not want to Zumba, she may stay at home and show she is weak by her fat. If you condemn Zumba, what is next? Aerobics? Dancing, exercise, running, walking. Zoom was a Christian liberty. I am tired. I am frustrated. I'm happy because I'm done. There's a 30 or 31 or 32 page outline that will be on the website in the next 24 hours. And the next time we get together, we're going to be about the Lord Jesus Christ and our unity and communion in Him. I have not taken this using the best judgment that I have, which may not be very much. I've tried to be wise in, in teaching this subject because of the trouble that we have had in the past. And I hope, and I'm so thankful for Brother Jonathan Carnell's prayer early this morning that this particular sermon series will be remembered by this church for many years so we'll not have to be taught again and that we will be ready to deal with anyone that comes in here and tries to bring up trouble about these little issues that God doesn't care about. Let us march our way to Zion and be joyful in that marching and find the sweet accord of loving each other. I love all of you women. I love all of you men. I love you mothers. I love you wives and husbands and fathers. I hope that I've presented things in a balanced way. I have very strong opinions on some of these things. I'll defend all of you. I want us to love each other. I pray for the prosperity of our families and the prosperity of our church. I have not tried to change your liberty. I have not tried to loosen up your liberty as much as I've tried to restrain your liberty and cause you to think about it very carefully so that you will allow others their choices and their preferences. May God bless a difficult subject, an emotional subject, a strange subject, 
to all of us that we can practice Romans 14, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, in all these things that affect us, because the things that affected Paul, Rome, and Corinth don't affect us, but these things have, and I hope they'll never affect us again if God were to be merciful to us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.